Welcome to Cross Lane Community Church, where we are committed to bringing people to Jesus. We hope you enjoy this online message. If you're new to us, if you're here and maybe you don't go to church that much, uh, maybe you're new to us, this is your first Sunday at Cross Lane, let me tell you uh, what kind of church you've walked into and what's important to us. The, the Cross Lane Community Church exists the big picture is that we want to glorify God with everything we do. That's the big picture. Underneath that, and more of on a, a planet level, what we're trying to do in the world is just basically bring people to Jesus. We want people to, to know who Jesus is and to understand that he's the answer for their life. And so that's why we exist. And one of our goals, um, if you're here and you're new, you need to know this, we're trying to be a church that people who don't like church like to go to church. Does that make sense? We're trying to be a church. To be real honest with you, some of you grew up in a church, in a home, where they made you go to church. And you swore when you turned 18 and you didn't have to go to church anymore, you weren't going anymore. We want to be the church that when you come back, you know, like you go, you turn 18, you leave the church, then you go get married, right? Then you have a couple of kids, then you see your kids running around in the living room and you think, oh my goodness, They shouldn't be saying those words. I need to get those kids to church, right? And then you decide you're going to go get back into church. We want to be different than the church you left. Okay, that's all we're trying to, I'm not putting any churches down. I'm just saying we're trying to be unique, a little different. Um, We're trying to to just be a place that when you walk in, you go, I I like this. And, And so we're really trying to be a church that people who don't like church like to go to church, if that makes sense. People come here, they might come here and say things like, you know, I don't buy it. I don't buy everything they're selling. I'm not sure I believe in Jesus, but I really like those people. Or, you know, I don't, I don't buy it, but, and I don't believe it, but I kind of got something out of that talk. As that guy was talking, he, I've not heard somebody say that before. Or they might say something like, you know, I, I don't buy everything. Not sure I believe what those people believe, but I know that's good for my family, and I want my family exposed to that. And so maybe that describes you. I don't know. We just we want people to feel like they can come here, <clears throat> be a part of a movement, without feeling like they have to know everything, without feeling like they have to be Bible scholars. That's the kind of church we're trying to be. But, and this is important, we are not immune from the subtle turn to where it's all about us. See, one of the things that makes this church a really cool place is that we don't make it about us. We make it about the community. We're trying our best to get into the school over here. We're trying our best to, to um, help people in our community, the businesses, and we just we want to be a blessing to the people around us, and we, we try to make it more about them than we do about us. Um, and one of the ways that you know whether a church is still on mission or not um, is, is to ask the question, just look at how they pray. Let me show, I want to show you a phrase. The, the, the phrase that I want us to kind of focus in on for a minute is this. How a church prays indicates whether it has strayed. How a church prays indicates whether it has strayed. Specifically, how the leaders pray. I wish you could hear the, the elders of our church pray sometimes. It's, it's a really cool thing. It's it's, uh, they're, they're praying about the right stuff. How a church prays indicates whether it has strayed. So here's where we're going today. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. I always love that part when I tell you to open your Bibles and everybody starts reaching and tells me you brought your Bibles. That's a really good thing to me. We're, we're going to read today 
the very first prayer that the, the early church ever prayed. Okay, the, the, the first century church, we're going to read the first prayer that they ever prayed. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, good news for you. You get to just kind of kick back. Um, you, you can take it easy. No, this, is, this, this first part isn't for you. You can just kind of sit back and throw stones at us and say, see, I knew they were all hypocrites. I knew they were. And I'm pretty much going to prove that to you here in just a minute. Um, to which I would also say, if you're here and, and you you call us a bunch of hypocrites, we say welcome. We could use one more. Okay, you're you're welcome to join us. So um, I just want to talk to Christians for just a minute. And if you're a Christian, I want you to think for a minute about the prayers you pray and the things you pray for. All right, I pretty much already know what you pray about, but I want you to think for a minute before I tell you because we kind of pray about the same stuff. We'll look at their prayer in a minute. Here's how we pray as Christians. For the most part, there are exceptions, but the average prayer, we're pretty much, we pray for ourselves, we pray for our family, and one or two sick people, right? That's kind of how we do it. We're, we're going to pray for ourselves, and we're going to pray for our family, and we, you know, Aunt Martha might have a heart thing, we might pray for Aunt Martha, um, and if we think about it, we might pray for that person that they said, hey, would you pray for them? And maybe I will if I've got the time and I'm thinking about it. That's, that's kind of how we pray. Isn't that true? And the things we pray for ourselves are somewhat absurd. For the most part, and there are extreme situations and there are deviances in this, but I'm gonna, and I'm not suggesting that you stop praying the way you're praying right now. Okay, That's not what this message is, is that you're just praying all wrong and you shouldn't do that. I'm not saying that. You just keep praying the way you've been praying. I'm going to suggest that we add to what we're already praying. Okay? I'm going to suggest that we add to it. Um, some of the stuff we pray for, for the most part, is stuff that's going to happen anyway. It's not taxing to God. I mean, it's not like God hears it and goes, ooh, I may have to work hard for that one. I mean, by and large, so for example, Lord, please give us a safe trip. All right, let me help you with that. Put on your seatbelt, drive the seat speed limit, and you're probably going to be okay. Now, I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't pray for a safe trip. And I'm not suggesting that when you pray for a safe trip, God doesn't hear that and maybe even grant you a safe trip. That's not what I'm suggesting, okay? Keep praying that prayer. I have prayed that prayer. I still pray that prayer. Lord, please, we're traveling. I've got kids in the van with me or whatever. Please help us to get where we're going. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But that prayer is not really taxing to God. God's probably, a safe trip is probably going to happen if you put on your seatbelt and you drive the speed limit and you don't text and drive or drink and drive or do something stupid like that. God doesn't say, oh, he's praying for a safe trip. We got to stop everything because we got to make sure that he's praying. God's going to give us, we're going to give him a safe trip. We got to make sure. It doesn't tax God. God, that's not a big prayer to God. Or this one. God, just help me to do well on my test. I got news for you. Atheists do well on tests. Okay? You know how you do well on a test? Teachers, how do you do well on a test? Study! I remember as a Bible college student for a Greek final that I had not studied for. That's called living on the edge. Greek final that you have not studied for, right? Praying, God... Help me to pass this test. 
To which God would have been very justified to have said, you're a moron, I'm not helping you pass this test. Right? You didn't study, not helping you. But that's kind of how we pray. Or this one, Lord, I have a date this weekend. Could you please make this zit go away on my face? Please clear up my face by the weekend. You think of some of the stuff that fill our prayers for the most part. In fact, we have a horrible way of talking about prayer, and we should eliminate this from our vocabulary. We say to our kid, this is what we say, did you say your prayers? Did you say your prayers? Which is translated, did you say tonight what you said last night, what you said the night before, what you said the night before? Did you say your prayers? So we teach them these little prayers that they can repeat over and over and, and so, you know, did you say your prayers? That's kind of what we mean by that. And God's saying, whoa, you, you don't even need to pray. I know, I know you're thankful for this day. You're so thankful. I know every day Christian, a Christian wakes up and that's what we pray, right? Lord, thank you for this day. I mean, it's like Christianity 101, that's the first thing you gotta pray for is thank God for the day, right? We all do that. I'm guilty of doing that. We all do that. It's kind of like you don't know what to pray for, so you start, you're like, well, I'll say this first line just to get me rolling, Right? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this day. And God's saying, I know you're thankful for the day. I I know you're, ask me something important. I'm God, you keep asking me for the same stuff that's gonna happen anyway. Try me, test me, check me out. See if there's something different. Push me a little bit. But that's how we pray. And again, You should keep praying all that stuff. I'm not suggesting that you don't pray like that, okay? I'm suggesting we're gonna add to what we already are praying. But all of our prayers kind of have in common at the center of our prayers, it's who? It's us. I mean, we're pretty much at the center of our prayers. In fact, I'm just guessing that if God had answered all of your prayers from the last year, the ones you pray week in and week out, the ones you pray consistently. I'm just guessing that, it, that if God answered all your prayers from last year, for most of us, the only person who would be better off is me or you, right? Because and maybe a family member that you prayed for or that sick person, you know, maybe, maybe them. You'd be married, right? I mean, you'd be married. You'd, you'd, you're, you're, you would have gotten into the better school. You would have already graduated. You'd have a better GPA. You'd have a better job. You would be better off if God had answered all of your prayers that you prayed consistently last year, because for the most part, you pray for you and I pray for me and we pray for ourselves. And if we got a little time left over and if we're feeling benevolent, then we might pray for somebody else. But for the most part, prayers center around us. Now, I don't think you should quit praying any of the prayers that you're praying. That's not the point of the message this morning. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that self-centered prayers, I'm talking about people who pray who are self-centered, self-centered prayers, when we get them all together, after a while, they start acting like self-centered Christians. And when you get a bunch of people who start acting like self-centered Christians, all of a sudden, this outwardly focused thing that we call the Cross Lane Community Church goes from being that to being very inwardly focused And when that happens, it just becomes a church building. It just becomes a bunch of church people. And we just do church things. 
And we finally get on each other's nerves because we become so self-centered that eventually we go find ourselves another building that we call a church and join another bunch of people who call themselves church people. But you see, if you're here, here's what I know about you. You're looking to belong to something bigger than you. You come in here week after week, and really, you don't say it like this, but one of the things that's going through your mind, and you may not even know that your heart's kind of saying this, but what your heart is saying is, Brett, please show me how I can be a part of something bigger than me. Please show me how God's love encompasses more than just my world. I want to believe that there's more than just this little thing that I see. And so big churches on God's big mission pray big prayers. Now, when I say big church, I don't mean the size of our church. I don't mean the number of people. That's not what I mean. There are little churches of 20, 25 people that are big churches because their mindset's right, they're doing the right things, they're outwardly focused, they're about the right stuff. That's what I mean by big church. So as I use the term today, big church, don't think I'm talking about mega church or something like that. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about big churches doing it right in God's eyes. Big churches on God's big mission pray big prayers. And today, I want to challenge you to start praying a different kind of prayer. Now, last week, we looked at the beginning of the church. And what we found out was on the very first day of the church, 3,000 people joined the church. Okay, that's a great day. I don't know any preacher in America that wouldn't like to be able to say about his church, 3,000 people joined the church today. Okay, you're a rock star if that happens and you're a preacher, all right? So a few days later after this deal where the early church gets started and 3,000 people are saved, Peter and John are going to the temple. And the temple is like the epicenter of Judaism. Uh, the ancient Jews, that they, you know, in their mind, that's where, Jesus, that's where God lived. And, and so Peter and John are Jews and they're on their way to the temple to pray and now they're, they're Christians and they're followers of Jesus and, and, and they're, they're a little, there's a little conflict going on and they're going to the temple. And by the way, Peter and John are pretty, they're pretty important. Okay, they're, they're, um, they're high-ranking guys. In fact, if you're Catholic, if you grew up Catholic, they taught you in the Catholic church that Peter's like the first pope, right? So whether you, believe, whether you buy that or not, we can all agree that Peter was pretty important. In fact, at this particular time in history, there's probably nobody more important in Christendom than Peter. And he and John are on their way to the temple. And they're going to pray. And, and as they, they go into the temple, they pass by this guy who's been lame for a long time. I mean, it's, it's for his whole life, he's been, he hasn't been able to walk. And the only thing he can do, he just holds a cup. He, he just, he waits for somebody to pass by who has money and takes compassion, has compassion on him and is willing to give some of what they have so that he can live. That's the only way he can make it. And he's done this every day of his life. And no doubt, all kinds of people have passed by him. No doubt, all kinds of people, some have given him money, some haven't. And, and, and as this guy is out there, Peter and John walk by on their way to the temple and they look at him and they say, Look, we don't have any money, but do this for us. Just get up. Just get up and walk. And this guy's miraculously healed. 
And so he follows them into the temple. Now, can you imagine? The people in the temple recognize this guy. They've walked by him every day. They know what's up with him. They know he's not able to walk. And can you just imagine the commotion over the fact that this guy that they've walked past all these days now is walking around among them? And suddenly there's a buzz and there's a commotion in the temple. Now, (coughs) it was one thing, man, I hate when this happens. It was one thing for Peter to be creating havoc out in the streets. Okay, that's one thing. Everybody's gathered around this guy in the temple. They know he's been healed. Peter can't help himself. Peter starts to preach. I mean, it's just in Peter to start preaching. He gets all these people, and he starts to preach. He has to preach a sermon. He has no authority to preach this sermon. Nobody told him it was okay. He just starts talking. And he preaches a sermon, and in the middle of the sermon, he uses a word that he cannot stay away from. It is the word resurrection. He keeps using this word about Jesus, this word resurrection. Luke tells us in the book of Acts that by the end of the day, over 5,000 people have given their life to Christ. 5,000 men, which suggests to us that it was more than that because they didn't count the women and children in that number. So 5,000 men became Christians on this day. You add that to the original 3,000, you've got about 10% of the Jewish, of of the uh, population of Jerusalem who've now become a part of this thing called well, they, you know, some people thought it was a cult. Some people looked at it as a movement. But they're, they're a part of this thing that they called the way. So you got all these people. So you have big energy. This thing's getting big. The people in the temple say, hey, you can't come into the temple preaching like that. You, you got to stop doing that. And, and they felt a little picked on anyway by Peter because... Peter was always so fond of telling them that they were the ones that crucified Jesus, right? In the middle of these sermons, he's always pointing at them saying, you who crucified Jesus. Now, how would you like to hear that all the time? These guys aren't real crazy about Peter anyway, so they arrest Peter and John, and they put them in jail for the night. Well, word spreads throughout the community of believers that Peter and John have been arrested, and they're freaking out. Okay, this is not good. This is the two most important guys we've got, and they've got them in jail. And they're thinking, look, two months ago, they just crucified Jesus. Two months ago, we just lost the Savior. Now, you know, kind of our top two dogs are in, are in prison. This isn't good for us. I mean, what are we going to do? So they're afraid for their friends. And Peter and John have been arrested, and, and, and the next morning, they pull them out. They bring them in, and the leaders say to them, the leaders of the temple say, look, what is this thing you keep talking about? And Peter says, I'm glad you asked. And he starts preaching again, okay? The very, he just got out of jail. That's why they threw him in jail. And he starts preaching again. And here's how he concludes. And this might bug some of you, the way this concludes, and I understand that. I'll address it. I guarantee you if it bugs you, it, it really bugged his audience that he's talking to. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He's wrapping up this message, okay? Salvation is found in no one else. He's talking about Jesus. 
For there is no other name, talking about the name of Jesus, there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now that's kind of narrow, isn't it? Isn't that one of the knocks on the church today? Isn't that one of the knocks on Christianity? You guys are so narrow. You think Jesus is the only way. Guilty. Guilty. Yes, Jesus is the only way. And I'm sure that the people that were around Peter and John probably might have, you know, and, and maybe the people in the temple would have said, look, can't you water it down? Can't you just say Jesus was a good guy? Moses was a good guy. Abraham was a good guy. Can't you, can't you broaden it a little bit? And Peter still smells like jail. All right, he just got out for saying this kind of stuff, and he cannot shut up. And so he says to his audience, here's what I want you to know. God has done something miraculous among us. He has sent his son, and we can't shut up. And you need to embrace Jesus, for that is the name above every name. That's the only name by which men can be saved. And historically, do you know what's interesting? Did you know that before this time, there's never been another human being whose name was declared as the means of salvation? It only happened one time. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Well, this, this just really bugged the leaders of the temple and the Jewish leaders. And, and, and the problem now is this. The guy who has been healed came to the meeting and is standing there. Okay, So they, you, can't, you can't punish the people who are responsible for this guy being able to walk around. This is kind of a problem. It goes from there. Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing, and this is, this is the second day of him standing, okay? This guy would say, you know, I'm over here, I'm standing. Yesterday, I couldn't stand. I had to kind of be down here holding up a cup hoping somebody would help me. Today, they healed me yesterday. I've been standing yesterday. This is day two of standing. I'm standing. Look, standing. Now imagine you're him. Just think about it for a minute. If you had been that guy and you'd been begging your whole life and then you finally got healed, wouldn't you go home and just walk around and feel your legs the whole time? Right? I mean, would you even go to sleep that night or sit down? I mean, wouldn't you just keep walking everywhere you went like, man, this is amazing. I can walk. This is so cool. He's standing there. He's excited. He wants people to see. Look, I walk. I'm, look, I'm walking. I'm walking. And they're like, dude, we can all walk. No, I'm really, I'm walking. And he's there. How would you feel? if you had been miraculously healed like that. Verse 14, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they say to Peter and John, Peter and John, look, we're gonna let you go, but shut up. All right, stop doing this. Stop talking this ridiculous teaching. Don't talk about Jesus don't talk about the resurrection, and for goodness sake, quit blaming us for the crucifixion. And they're going to let him go. Well, Peter looks at him, fresh out of jail, and here's what he says. Look, you got to do what you got to do. 
But you need to know, we got to do what we got to do. And we cannot stop talking about what we have seen. Not what they believed, not what they taught, were taught. We cannot stop talking about what we have seen. You want to know how this faith made it out of the first century? It was built on the resurrection, and it was built on the fact that people saw Jesus raised from the dead. Listen, that's a world changer. That's a game changer. These men, said, you know, they, they were, these men were killed, not for what they believed, what they had seen. They weren't about to say that they hadn't seen what they'd seen. And they take off, and they go through the streets, Peter and John, and they find the group, Mary and James and Bartholomew and Andrew and all the others, and they get with them, and everybody breathes this big sigh of relief. Oh, you know, our, our top two dogs have come home. They're, they're safe. They're going to be okay. And they come into the room, you know, and they're probably hearing things like, you know, we didn't know if we'd ever see you again. And then Luke tells us that they pray. Now, I'm going to show you the prayer in just a minute, but if you can imagine... Can you imagine how we would have responded to these two guys if this had happened in our day? You almost lost the number one guy, and you almost lost guy number two. You almost lost Peter and John. They spent the night in jail, barely escaped with their lives. So what are you going to pray for? I know how we would pray. Because we're Americans, (laughs) okay? We would pray the kind of prayers that we always pray. We would pray prayers of protection. God protect us and bless us and keep us from this and cover us. That's how we pray. In fact, I think we would have said it like this. I think we would have sat these guys down and here's what we'd have said. First of all, Peter and John, you guys are way too important. You are not traveling together anymore. John, if he goes out, you got to stay here. Peter, if John goes out, you got to stay here. You're not traveling together at the same time. Second, We need to get some black Escalades with tinted windows. You guys got to roll different. We need the guys in the suits with the, you know, the thing in the cuff and the the sunglasses. We need some security for you guys because this is getting off the hook crazy. And, and, And number three, dial down the rhetoric. Dial down the rhetoric. You, you can, listen, Peter, no more talk about the resurrection. No more R word. Just lay low, knock off the resurrection talk. John, talk about love. You're good at talking about love. Talk about love. Everybody likes to talk about love. Everybody loves to hear about love. Peter, you heard Jesus preach. Preach that sermon he preached about the blessed are the peacemakers thing that nobody understood. Nobody got that. Nobody understood that, but they like it. They're used to going to church and not knowing what you're talking about, so just talk about that. Just tone down the rhetoric, and let's just lay low for a while until this thing blows over. Then we can talk about Jesus. Then maybe you can talk a little bit about the resurrection, but please, no more of this. And no more of this, there's only one name under heaven. Are you trying to get us all killed? That just bothers people, Peter. So, are we good? You guys aren't traveling together. We're going to get some security, and... And you're going to dial down the rhetoric. Okay, we're, we're good. That's how we would think. That's, that's, that's kind of how our prayers would be directed. It would be directed toward protection. Okay, you ready for this? Here's how they prayed. That's how we would have prayed. Here's how they prayed. Verse 24. When they heard this, 
this being the report of Peter and John, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Okay, so here's the first century first prayer. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, God, before we ask anything, we just want to remind you that we know who we're talking to. We know you're a pretty big deal. We know you're important. We know you got all this stuff covered. We got that. Sovereign Lord, nothing is out of your control. Nothing happens without you knowing about it. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And now they're going to quote from the Old Testament that basically is a prophecy that bad things are going to happen to Jesus. That's really what the prophecy is. Our father, David, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord. It's an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then they bring it to their context and they say, this is exactly what happened. Verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city. Now keep in mind, this isn't 50 years after the resurrection. This is two months, two months after the resurrection. This is a couple of months after the events in the very city where all these things happened. And so they're praying, they're saying, God, you're the greatest, you're sovereign, you predicted this would happen. Sure enough, it did. To conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They, Pontius Pilate and these evil people, they did what what, what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Translation, what's that all about? Yeah, they believed that none of the things that happened to Jesus were outside of the will of God. They they believed that nothing was spiraling out of control, that God was in charge. They believed that sovereign God somehow even oversaw the crucifixion of their friend. And then they get to their prayer request. Here's what they're going to ask for. In other words, they're getting to the part in our prayer, it's the gimme, gimme part, Right? We pray gimme, gimme prayers. This is, you're about to see what they're going to pray for. Lord, thank you for, you know, so, Lord, thank you for this day. Okay, great. Now, can I have, that's kind of how we pray. So here's what these guys ask for. Verse 29, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Okay, guys, before you finish your prayer, I just need to ask you something. Boldness? Boldness? You're asking for boldness? It's boldness that got you into this. It's boldness that got you thrown into jail. It's boldness that almost got you killed. And guys, I'm just, I'm speaking from a 21st century perspective. You guys are pretty bold already. Pete, you stepped right into the street and started preaching to people. 3,000 people got saved. You've got boldness down, okay? You're pretty good at boldness. We got street preachers today. Nobody listens to them. They just walk by, think they're crazy. You know, I mean, no, nobody's, certainly 3,000 people aren't coming to Jesus when the street preacher preaches. Peter, you're good. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now let me just ask you a question. 
Have you ever in your life prayed for boldness? Do you remember the last time you prayed for boldness? Is it even in your vocabulary with God to ask for boldness, to speak about God in the marketplace or in class or with your friends or your family? I mean, we pray all the time. Lord, help Sally to become a Christian. I'm not going to talk to Sally about becoming a Christian, but help Sally to become a Christian, right? I mean, that's kind of how we pray. Have you ever asked God to, to use the Bible word to enable you to speak? And I'm not talking about weirdness, okay? Christians just get weird. We just, I mean, we mean well. And there are people that, that have come to church this morning that aren't necessarily Bible-believing people. And, you know, maybe somebody promised them hot girls were here. I'm not sure why they've come. But, but here's one of the things that they would say. They would say, Brett's exactly right right now when he's talking about weirdness. That's one of the things that turns me off about Christians. We mean well. We want you to know Jesus. Sometimes our tactics are horrible. Okay, we're just weird. You say, well, what are you talking about? I'm talking about half the bumper stickers I see on Christian cars. Right? I'm talking about half the stuff that gets put on Facebook by Christians. Now, I love it when I'm on Facebook and I see that you talk about Maybe the music at Cross Lane today was outstanding, and boy, it was just really neat to sing with people and had a really good time at church today, or got to see so-and-so at church. It was fun. You know, that, that's wonderful. But there's a bunch of stuff getting put on Facebook that all the non-believers are going, see, that's exactly why I don't want to go to church, right there. And it just gets weird. Or, or you know, the Christian who thinks that it's proper and right to go into work and go, Jesus rose from the dead! Just want you to know. Everybody's going, pretty, pretty sure we already knew that, okay? Just dial it down a little bit, brother. We just, we just get weird sometimes. It's, instead of... The Christian who everything he owns has a fish on it. You know, you know that guy? Now, if you got something with a fish on it, I'm not putting you down, okay? I'm not. I'm just saying... More than likely, that's not going to do it to help bring somebody to Jesus. I'm, I'm just suggesting. Boldness. Boldness. Have you ever considered it? Do you know why the message of Jesus got out of the first century? Because these guys prayed for boldness. We don't even think about boldness. We don't even think about praying to God, God, Help me to be bold in my faith. That's the first thing they prayed for. It gets even more extreme. They only prayed for two things. They prayed for boldness. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You ever ask for that? No, 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 no. I don't go to one of those churches. No. Do you know why? Now, you know why this verse has gotten such a bad rap? I'll tell you why, and I'm not picking on you. If you, you may have grown up in one of these kind of churches. I, I'm not putting you down, and I'm not picking on you. I'm, I'm going to try and teach you something. I'm going to try and teach you something. This is weird to us. 
because Christians do this in the church. They read that verse and they think that that should happen in the church. What were they asking for? They were asking to be able to go out into the community among people who didn't believe and to live their lives in such a way in front of people who didn't believe, who were skeptical, who had reasons to be skeptical. So that they would see in their community, in the marketplace, in the world where they live, the people would see and they would go, that's a God thing. That's got to be a God thing. I mean, there's no other way to explain that. That's what they're praying for. Enable us. Let me just ask you, what if you began to pray your version of that as a Christian? God, would you please stretch out your hand and do something in me, in my secular community, among my unbelieving friends, among my unchurched, anti-church friends? who have every reason to be running 100 miles an hour away from the church. God, I can't convince them on my own. God, would you be willing to stretch out your hand and do something unusual, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of those who don't believe? I don't know if you know this or not, but the miracles that were performed in the Bible were not performed for the benefit of the people who received the miracle. I don't know if you know that or not. The lame guy that, Jesus, that uh, Peter healed, the lame, the lame guy, he died eventually. All these people that were healed, they eventually died. It, it wasn't really for them. Now, the whole point of the healing in the New Testament wasn't just for the sake of the people who were healed, although it was a good day for them. I mean, if you're the lame guy and Peter says, hey, take up your mat and walk, you're healed, that's a good day for you. Okay, you're not going to complain. That's a good day. But the point of the miracles was that so people would see it and go, oh my goodness, that's got to be a God thing. See, you don't see people in the New Testament who were healed and they go, I just can't die. I mean, Peter healed me 50 years ago. I've been trying to die ever since. I just can't die. You know, that, that's, not, that's not what happened. All the people that got healed in the New Testament, they all died. So it wasn't for them. The point of this wasn't some weird, spooky, the pastor laid hands on me and it was a miraculous somebody in the church and everybody was singing and chanting and and, and it's a miracle. That's not what this is. They're asking to be able to go out into the community and demonstrate the power of God. Not for their sake, but for the sake of what God was going to do in the church. Now, let me just ask you, can you imagine what would happen in our church if if we began to add to what we're already praying? Again, not asking you to stop praying what you're praying, just want you to add to. If you were just to say, God, thank you for this day, give me a safe trip, you know, Help him to ask me out and help this acne to clear up before the weekend. And would you give me boldness with my friends? Would you give me boldness so that I would see opportunities and take 
advantage of those opportunities. God, I'm not a bold person. Would you stretch out your hand and would you do something through me that would possibly get to my friends who have written off church and written you off? Would you do something through me that would cause them to give you a second look? Can you imagine what would happen if we started praying like first century Christians? I'll tell you what would happen. You would see opportunities. The things you were praying for, you would see because that's the way God wired you. When you pray for it, you see it. You you see what you're looking for. Here's how this whole story wraps up. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And then, and I don't know what that would look like, but that's, I mean, that verse right there by itself. The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That's huge. And then Luke, who's writing all this down, says, oh yeah, I got this one other part and I don't understand this, but the very next verse says this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. Suddenly, along with this boldness, there was an outbreak of extreme generosity. Not because of a sermon, not because somebody said, if you give one, God will give ten, or some crazy nonsense like that. As they became outsider-focused, and they became concerned about their community, and they began to talk about the resurrection, there was an outbreak of extreme generosity among them. Now, you're a great church. All right? You're a great church. I don't know if you know that or not. You're kind of famous. You're not TV famous, okay? You're not that kind of famous. They're not talking about you nationally. But in Terre Haute, they talk about you. I had a guy stop me in a parking lot two weeks ago, preacher at another church, wants me to come talk to his leadership team about what's going on here. People are talking about you. I don't know if you know this or not, but last week in Mitchell, Indiana, a good friend of mine who's a pastor, leads a church in Mitchell, spent a considerable amount of time in his message talking about how this church has impacted him and has impacted their church, and they don't even know it. All right? You're an awesome, awesome church. I don't know if you know that. And and you are, I do know this. You are the most beautiful church I have ever been associated with. You're the most beautiful church I have ever attended or been a part of. But that's not why we're doing this. We're not doing this for fame. We're not doing this so people will talk about us. We're not doing this so that we'll be the cool place. We're not doing this so that everybody goes, oh, yeah. We're not doing this to be big. We're not trying to become a mega church. Anybody that thinks that that's our goal, does not know our heart. I want us to be a big church, not numerically, a big church to God that prays big prayers. I want us to be a church that learns to leverage what we have for the sake of something that has nothing to do with us.
And I think you're good at that. I think you're really good at it. I think it's our track record. But here's what I know. Because we are a church, what starts out as something being outwardly focused very quickly can turn to become something that's very inwardly focused. The way we pray is an indication of where our heart is. And are we going to remain on track to pursue God's mission for our city, our community, our friends, our workplace, our world? Or will we be like so many other churches that became inwardly focused, who once were outwardly focused, but became inwardly focused because we got selfish and we made our prayers about us. And we made it all about us. Do you know what happens to churches who turn from being outwardly focused to focus on the inside and on them and and all their prayers are about them? Do you know what happens to those churches? They're dead. Oh, they're still having services. There's still a preacher, and there's still prayers going on, but nothing is affected and nothing has changed because they're so focused on what's going on in here that they lose sight of what's going on out there. I want you to add to your prayers. God, reach out your hand and bless me and make me bold and enable me to, to do and, and see and experience miraculous things so that my unbelieving friends and the world on the outside will see and go, there is a God. You can't explain that any other way. God, I need help. I can't do it on my own. God, I'm open. I'm a part of the mission. I'm a part of the church, and I want you to use me. Make me bold. Pray a big, bold prayer today. I'm not asking you to not pray about the stuff you've been praying for. I'm just saying add to it this one prayer of boldness. The guys are going to come sing us out in just a minute, but before we do, let's just bow together as a a church body and pray that one thing, shall we? Let's pray together. Father, we're earnest in this. We're sincere. We don't want to become an inwardly focused thing. We don't want this to become about us. We want this to be about a world that is lost and broken and desperately in need of you. And Father, left to our own devices, we can so royally mess this thing up. Father, I pray that you would make us bold. I pray that you would make us aware of our surroundings and help us to lean into you and to count on you to do the things that only you can do. And that when we see our opportunity that we would have the words to say and that we would not mess it up. Because we love our friends and we love the people we work with and we love our families. And Father, it just seems like the more the world goes and the more Christians do this thing called church, the more it just gets messed up. We don't want to be a part of that. God, we love you and we love these people and really it's just about getting you together so that they can see they need you just like we need you. So Father, would you stretch out your hand and would you enable us to walk with great boldness and God, would I be so bold even now as to pray for miraculous things among the people in this room, not in this room, but outside where the people are. Not for our benefit, not for our fame, and not for our glory, but for the fame 
of our Father. It's in his name we pray. Amen.